Good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. It's great to see so many people on a pre-Thanksgiving Sunday. We are wrapping up a series called No Big Deal. And as I mentioned last week, if you haven't been with us these past five weeks that we've been discussing this series, you owe it to yourself to go online to the well, I'm sorry, to stsa.church and then click on the well and follow us so you can catch up on all the past five messages. Because what we're talking about here in this series is super duper important for every single one of us. And as I mentioned last week, what we're talking about is how we're raising the bar on what is sin and what is not sin. We're talking about some of the misdemeanor sins that so often we kind of let slide because it's not really a big deal. And we talked about for the first five weeks, for the first four, or the first last four weeks, we talked about how complaining, complaining is not really a sin, is it? Well, we saw in the scriptures that actually complaining is a big deal. Talked about criticizing. We talked about lying. And last week we talked about gossip. And for each one of these weeks, we took a brand new look at a small sin, an insignificant sin, a, like I said, a misdemeanor sin. But what we realized is that if we leave it un without without paying attention to it and we and we leave it untended then we're gonna get ourselves in some serious consequences because there is no such thing as a minor sin any sin if it's left by itself will lead to big problems the example that we kind of been looking at as you saw there kind of that intro video this idea of a minor deviation over a long period of time equals major problems think of a spaceship that's set on its coordinates to hit whatever planet, whatever moon, or whatever sun it may be. And if it's off by just one degree, just one degree, one degree doesn't seem like a big deal from here to here, but from here to here, and if you extrapolate that one degree out, that one degree will cause major problems. That's what we're talking about here in this series. And we're wrapping up today with the hardest sin to discover. The hardest sin to discover because all the other sins that we looked at so far, lying, gossiping, uh, criticizing, complaining, you open your mouth and something comes out so you can evaluate what came out of my mouth. Is that good or not good? But what we're going to look at today, you may never say any word. You may never say anything to anybody, but you may have this sin inside you. And this sin is the hardest one to see in the mirror and the easiest one for everyone around you to see. And that is the sin of bitterness. This is the one that you could spot a mile away. You can tell as you walk up to the Starbucks, that barista, he's a bitter man or not a bitter man. You can see your boss, okay? It doesn't take you but one day on the job to know something's wrong with her. She's bitter about something. She's resentful about something. I'm telling you when you're kids, we all know there was always that guy in the neighborhood, the get off my lawn guy, okay? The why are you playing on my the pesky kids, okay? The, 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 there's always that guy, that bitter, give it whatever name you want, bitter, resentful, grumpy. I mean, kids just taught me this one, okay? Salty is what the kids do to each other. They do this on, you know, like you, the salty or something like that. Whatever you want to call it. It all means the same thing. It means somebody who is allowing actions from yesterday to impact their life today. Let's see what the scriptures say about bitterness. Ephesians 4, 31 says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is when I allow something that happened yesterday. Somebody talked about me. Somebody gossiped about me. Somebody hurt me. Somebody betrayed me. When I allow something from yesterday to impact my life today. And the thing about bitterness is, is every time you think back to what so-and-so did or what so-and-so didn't do, right? Like what my mom didn't do when I was young or what my dad didn't do 
or what my spouse did back in 2001 or whatever it may be, every time you think back to these past events, you relive the pain today. And that causes us to act in bad ways. There's a book by a, 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 a PhD named Ronald, Ronald Potter Efren. And he talks about this idea about bitterness and resentment. Look what he says. He says, even though the offense is long over, people keep thinking obsessively about what happened. The problem with this, listen carefully. The problem with this is every time the memory comes, they feel re-injured as if they are being betrayed in that exact moment. That's powerful. So let me, he goes on to say like this, okay? Now I know this is strong words, but just, just stick with me on this one. If you were abused when you were a child, every time that you choose to be bitter and resentful about it, you continue to be abused. If you were betrayed, every time you go back to that place of betrayal, it's as if you're being betrayed again. If you were lied to, gossiped about, whatever it may be, stabbed in the back, every time you go back to it, as long as you hold on to it, then you are reliving the pain in that exact moment today. And that's why I ask people this question. And I ask you this question. I want you to, we're gonna be very honest today. All right, no one's gonna ask you, this is just between you and you. Okay, because the bitterness is something that no one, no one can see what, what the cause is. People can see the results of it, but you're the only one who knows the inside. And we're going to go deep inside, and I'm going to ask you this question. Is how long do you plan to be resentful? How long do you plan to be bitter? How long do you plan that somebody who hurt you yesterday, how long do you plan to let them continue to hurt you? Somebody hurt you back when you were in third grade. They talked about you behind your back and you haven't let go and they're still hurting you today. How long do you, like, what's your plan? What's the long-term plan? Somebody hurt you, you know, they, they, like I said, they talked about you. They cost you that promotion. It's because of them that your career isn't where it's supposed to be. How long do you plan to let them continue to hurt you and hold you back? They say that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And I ask you that same question. How long do you plan to allow bitterness to kill you? And you say, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't have that much effect on me. Well, you know what? If you want to be really, like, if you want to really go deep on this one, then I would encourage you, talk to the people around you. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if there's bitterness inside you, it is affecting the closest relationships to you. I guarantee you, your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, they're the ones who are drinking the poison of your bitterness. Your coworkers that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like I said, the, the waiter, when you go out to dinner, is drinking the wrath of your bitterness. And it will continue to come out. And nobody knows your pain. That's the thing is, that waiter doesn't know your pain. He doesn't know what happened to you. But all he knows is, he didn't want to be around you. Your children don't know what, what your dad did to you. But all they know is they don't want to be around their dad. They don't know what, what your mom said to you and what she didn't say to you. But all they know is that every time you open your mouth to them, they don't want to hear it. So my question to you, how long do you plan to allow somebody else's hurt to control your life and dictate your today? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. St. Paul says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, listen carefully here. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Any root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble, by this, many become defiled. Today, finale of the series. I'd like to end with a bang. I'm challenging every single person here to do the following. 
to right now, inside your heart, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's any area of bitterness. My guess is most people don't have to pray very hard to figure it out. But just in case you're just sitting there and thinking this is a general sermon for general people who's not named me, I challenge you that in your heart, say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me if there's anyone inside that I'm bitter with. This person could be alive, could not be alive. This person could be local, this person could not be local. This person could be sitting right next to you right now. This person could be a thousand miles away. Could be a person that you see every day, could be a person you haven't seen for years. Ask God to reveal to you if there's any, any root of bitterness springing up inside. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna attack it. Because here's the beautiful thing about God. God is the best physician of all. He is a physician who only reveals things that he's ready to heal. So if God is bringing something up right now and you're saying, no, get away, and you're trying to push it down, or you're trying to pretend it doesn't exist, or you're lying to yourself, all you're doing is delaying the healing. Because when God reveals something, when God says, that's a problem, it's because God says, here's the solution for the problem. God never says problem without solution. God never says problem without solution. So you don't shy away from when he's pointing and saying problem. Because right now he's about to bring to us the solution, the key that unlocks the freedom from bitterness. And it is forgiveness. We're gonna talk today about forgiveness. And I'm gonna tell you this in the front and then I will explain it throughout the rest of today. Forgiveness is a process that takes time. But forgiveness begins with a decision that happens in a moment. Forgiveness is a process and it may take time. We're gonna talk about that process and I'm gonna talk a system and steps. We're gonna talk about all that. But it begins with a decision and the decision doesn't take a long time. The decision is one that I'm gonna challenge you to make today, that I'm gonna forgive and I'm gonna let go of the bitterness. Now, right off the bat, right off the bat, I know what you're saying. I say forgive because I, I've done this before, all right? I've done this thing before where I tell someone who's bitter and I say forgive, and I know the first thing you're gonna say, the first thing you're gonna say is, that's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair to let them get away with it. That's what we all think. I can't forgive because then they'll get away with it, okay? First question, if that's your statement. Is your goal, you be healed, or somehow stick it to them? Is your goal that you would find healing or somehow they pay the price? My goal is myself be healing. And second of all, even if your goal is stick it to them, fairness, justice, whatever, how does me being bitter hurt somebody who hurt me 10 years ago? Somehow we feel like, you know what this is? Remember when we were kids and we wanted something from our parents and we hold our breath? Okay, this is the kid who holds their breath, turns blue in the face and passes out to stick it to their mom. Like that'll show her. Metal teacher good. Well, that's what we think, is that we hold our breath and we throw a little hissy fit and temper tantrum and I will not let go and I'm gonna be bitter for the rest of my life and somehow we think it'll hurt them. The truth of the matter is, I'm not saying that you should forgive for their sake. I'm saying you should forgive for your sake. It's not, your bitterness is not affecting their relationships. It's not affecting their marriage. It's not affecting their relationship with their son or their daughter or their neighbor. Your bitterness doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. And that's why I say, they may not deserve forgiveness, but you do. So because of that, I'm gonna challenge you today to forgive. But before we talk about the how, there's a lot of misconceptions about what forgiveness is. And so often I tell people forgive, 
Now, if y'all remember in the membership group, for those who have gone through the membership group here, I gave one session all about forgiveness, and we talk about forgiveness, and everyone, someone always asks the same thing, but I can't this, and I can't that, and always because we don't understand what forgiveness means. So I'm going to give you a quiz. I'm going to ask you four questions. Each of them is true and false. You help me out here. We'll go through them one by one. Question number one, or statement number one, a person should not be forgiven until he or she asked for it. True or false? False, 100% false, because forgiveness is not conditional. Forgiveness is not based on someone apologizing or someone even acknowledging their sin. We've been talking this whole series about sin is anything that misses the mark. Christ is the mark. Our goal is not to be good, but to be Christ. Whoever Christ, whatever Christ did, that's our goal. When Christ forgave, did he say, Father, forgive them, but make sure that they know how bad their sin was. Father, forgive them if they beg, only if they beg. Father, forgive them if they, if, they, if they go to church every Sunday, right on time, and never fall asleep during Father Anthony's sermon. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he wasn't speaking like, he, like we would say, they don't know what they're doing, we're just trying to make an excuse for them. No, he's saying literally. They don't even have an idea that they're sinning. They're not only not apologetic, they're not even aware that they did anything wrong. The person who says, I will forgive them if they, that's not forgiveness. That's called blackmail. That's called negotiation. That's not called forgiveness. Forgiveness is, I will forgive, period. So forgiveness is not conditional. Number two, forgiveness includes minimizing the offense and making excuses for the offender. True or false? Ooh, wow, not so strong. True or false? How many people say true? How many people say false? False, 100% false. Did Jesus excuse our sin? Did Jesus say, well, you committed adultery? Adultery's not that bad. Say, oh, you, you, you murderer and you're a thief? That's okay. Just try your best. No, he didn't minimize the sin in any way. What he did is he didn't focus on the sin. He focused on the sinner. Forgiveness doesn't minimize sin. Forgiveness is not actually about sin. Forgiveness is about the person. Can you imagine if you were to go to a person who the latest shooting, which happened wherever it may have happened, and you go to the mother of one of the victims and you say, it's not that big a deal. Hey, he didn't, it's, it excuses, excuses. That's not forgiveness. Like if someone does that, that's not, excuse, that's not forgiveness. That's insanity. We don't minimize the sin, but what we do is we maximize the forgiveness. And in fact, what made Jesus' forgiveness so great was that he didn't minimize the sin. And he said, the sin is a big deal, but you are that important to me that I forgive you. So, so it is not excusing. Question number three. Forgiveness includes restoring trust and reconciling the relationship. You can't forgive until the relationship is reconciled and trust is restored. True or false? False, thank you very much. Forgiveness is not reconciling. Forgiveness is not reconciling. And in fact, I will say at times, in order to forgive, you should not reconcile. You should avoid that person. You should stay away. And we're talking about a situation of abuse. Should I forgive? Yes. Should I go back? No. Talking about somebody who talks about you every time, then should I forgive them? Yes. Should I reveal my secrets? No. Jesus taught us to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. We forgive, absolutely we forgive. In an instant, in an instant, I forgive you. You may sin against me in an instant, I forgive you. But trust, the trust takes time. 
Trust is a process. Trust is conditional. Reconciling the relationship is no, I need to see change. No, you need to earn the trust back. Forgiveness is forgiveness, but trust is a different story. So forgiveness and reconciling, not the same. Last one, my favorite. You haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten. Sure or false? Absolutely false. 100% false. How many people when you were growing up, you saw that picture? Okay, there's a picture of Jesus says, when I forgive, I forget. You seen that picture? Everyone had that picture in their homes. When I forgive, I forget. And it had no reference under it. You know why it had no reference? Because he never said it. He never said it. He never said when I forgive, I forget. And that one picture, I'm telling you, that one picture has messed up more people than anything else that's out there. Does Jesus forget our sin? Like even you could go like theologically, like is it possible to say Jesus is like forgotten? Like I show up and I'm like, I sin. He's like, what? Really? Like, I, really? In fact, for all of eternity, the scriptures say that Jesus has some holes in his hand to remember our sin, but not just remember our sin, but to remember his forgiveness for our sin. So no such thing as forgive means forget. And I'll prove it to you. Everyone look at your shoes. Look at your shoes. Everyone looked at their shoes? See what color your shoes are. Everyone see the color of their shoes? Now look at me. Now try to forget what color your shoes are. Go ahead, really, try really hard. Forget, I don't know what color my shoes are. Can you do it? Can you do it? You cannot forget. You can't make yourself forget something. So if you can't forget the color of your shoes, how in the world are you gonna forget that somebody abused you or that somebody betrayed you or that somebody ruined your career? If you can't forget something easy, how are you gonna forget something that, that big? Forgiveness and forgetting are not the same. And in fact, I'll say this, to be honest, I think the more you try to forget, the more you actually remember. The more you try, don't remember my shoes are black. Don't remember my shoes are black. Don't remember my shoes are black. The more you try to forget, the more all you're doing is engraving that memory deep inside your brain. You cannot forget. You cannot remove a thought or a memory, but what you can do is replace it. That's what we're gonna talk about. That's where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness is not about reconciling. Sometimes it may be, but not necessarily. Forgiveness is not about minimizing or excusing. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is about taking a bitter thought and replacing it with a different thought. And specifically, the way we're gonna focus on forgiving. Forgiveness, I told you what it is not. If you had to come up with a definition, the definition that I always give for forgiveness is forgiveness equals canceling the debt. That's what it means to forgive. It means canceling the debt. Those who are in banking or finance understand the word forgiveness in its truest sense. Because when I take out a loan from a bank, the bank, when all the loan is done, we say that the loan is forgiven. And what does that mean? It means that I owed you $1,000 and all of a sudden you say, it's over. You don't owe me anything more. I cancel the debt. Either you paid it all back or I had kindness because you went bankrupt or whatever it may be. But when I say a loan is forgiven or a debt is forgiven, that means I no longer, I relinquish the right to collect on that debt. Forgiveness is the same way when it comes to spiritual between you and your, and your bitterness. Think about the last time you got angry at somebody. Think about whatever it is that like you, you got angry, you got bitter, you got resentful, like what it is that upsets you so much. The huffing and the puffing and the ranting and the raving and the screaming and the temper tantrum. Go underneath all that stuff. What's the root 
of when you got bitter and you got angry. Like, what's lying underneath there? I bet you what it comes down to is you wanted something and you didn't get it. So you feel like I am owed this, I deserve this, and you took that away from me. You talked about me at work, you took away my reputation, my right to that promotion, because you talked about me. You betrayed my trust, I deserve to have a good friend who would keep my secrets and someone that I could confide in, you took that away. My mom and my dad, when I was in third grade, did whatever, my dad abandoned us. My mom was, was abusive towards us. They took away my innocence. I had a right to live a normal childhood. I had a right to be just like all the other kids. And they took that away. Bitterness at its root is that you feel that somebody owes you something. That there is a debt to debtor relationship that has been established. That's why, what do you say when you're bitter? What do you say when you're angry? Is that I need to get even, right? You know what you say? I'm gonna get even with him. Get even means that he's ahead and I need to get even. He took something from me, I need to take something from him. He owes me something. The problem is this, is most debts in life can never be repaid. Like the example I just gave a minute ago. Can your mom or dad ever repay you for your childhood? Like, can you go back and say, give me back my childhood, here you go. Can you restore your innocence that was lost? Can you restore maybe a, a, a security that, there was, that existed in a relationship and no more is there? Oftentimes the thing that we're looking to be repaid can never be repaid. So the more that you look for it, the more that you become bitter. The bitterness wants to be repaid and the more and more that you try and don't achieve it because it can't ever be repaid, the more bitter we become and it becomes a vicious cycle that we get ourselves into. The other thing about this way of thinking that makes it wrong is if you think about it, if I'm suffering from bitterness and I say, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me, who's in control of my healing now? You. I'm suffering and I'm sick and I'm bitter and I'm resentful and I won't get good until you repay me, a debt which can never be repaid. So I'm now a passive participant. I'm not even the, the, the owner of my own life. My life now, here I am. I'm living in Virginia. Someone who hurt me 10 years ago lives in Florida or lives in Nebraska or lives on the moon for all I care, all right? And they've moved on with their life, but I'm still waiting for them to repay me and I'm not gonna go on my life. So they're the ones who are in control of my life. That's why even an expression, you make me so mad. They make me so mad. No one should make you mad. No one should have that kind of control over your life. I don't want anyone else to be in control of my life except me. But that's the problem with bitterness. It puts someone else in control of your life. So the only way, the only way to get rid of the debt, the only way to get rid of the bitterness is to say, I cancel the debt. I forgive. And Jesus gave an example about this one time in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read a passage a little bit longer, but we'll go through it kind of quick. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about forgiveness. And Peter, as he always does, okay, Peter steps up to the plate and Peter offers a question to him. And Peter wants to show how forgiving a person that he is. And he says the following. It says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, Peter, okay, he was probably gathered, okay, with the rest of the disciple friends and maybe one of them, 
you know, maybe John or James or someone like, you know, did something to him or maybe, you know, they, 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 you know, stole his sandals or they, you know, tied them together in a knot and hung them up on a tree or whatever it may be. And Peter, the big man that he was, was like, Jesus, how often should I forgive one of these idiots, you know, when they sin against me? I'm a big man. Look, I'm going to forgive seven times. And he's waiting for Jesus to say, wow, and clap for him and say, you're a big man, Peter. And Jesus, as he always does, Jesus gives a zinger. Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And Peter's jaw just, and Jesus now, after saying this, he tells a story, a parable to illustrate his point. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and that payment be made. You're gonna see throughout this parable about forgiveness, this idea of debt and payment, debt and payment. Someone owes a debt and how can it be repaid? So there's this master, has all these servants. Someone owes him 10,000 talents, let's say $10,000. The man comes to him and says, I can't pay. The king does what is right within the law, okay? Like if you go to your, your homeowner, your, your, your mortgage, cut your bank and say, I can't pay for my house anymore. They're not gonna say, okay, thank you for trying. They're gonna put you in jail, okay? They're gonna say they have a right and that's what they did with him. The king wasn't being mean, the king was being honest and be, being just. You couldn't pay the debt, so therefore I'm gonna sell you as a slave and your wife and kids to, to pay what you owe me. He's doing what is right and what is just. He's not doing anything wrong. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. The servant did the only thing he could do. He begged for mercy. Please, 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 please don't sell me and my wife. Please, please, please just accept my apology. Please, I beg you. He begged for mercy. And because the master was merciful, and compassionate, he released him and he forgave the debt. Story continues. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. As the disciples are hearing this story, it's like, what are the odds of this? Like one guy owes 10,000 talents, let's say $10,000, and then he gets, you can't pay it, and then he begs, 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 and the guy says, okay. Then he walks out, and what are the odds that someone who owes him money, he just happens to see him, and it's like, this, it's like deja vu, okay? It's like deja vu, like right all over again, okay? It happens the same thing. So the natural thing that you're expecting is that like this one ended a certain way, this one should end the same way. But look what he says in verse 30. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. He doesn't accept his apology. He doesn't let go of the debt. He had let go of a debt, $10,000. This was like a hundred denarii. Okay, think of it, let's say like 20 bucks. Okay, a $10,000 debt, I'm forgiven, and then you owe me 20 bucks. And of course the people are listening and they're getting angry because anyone in the right mind would get angry at this, at this, this story, goes on. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. 
Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And the answer is, yes, you should have, of course. What are you, an idiot? Of course, you just got forgiven $10,000, the guy owed you 20 bucks. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now, up until this part of the story, everyone in the crowd is like, yes, this makes sense. This is logic. This is right. This is fair. This is justice. We wouldn't have it any other way. He deserves to go to jail because he was a jerk and he didn't let go of a debt even though a debt had just been forgiven him. And then here comes the zinger. Always a zinger. Verse 35. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And a hush falls over the crowd. They thought they were listening to a story about somebody else. And Jesus said, this is a story about you. Just for my sake, just so we don't miss the point. There's the king, there's the first servant, and then there's the second servant. The king, first servant, second servant. Who's the king? God. Anytime king in the story, gotta be God. Who's the first servant? The first servant, let's be more specific than just us. Anybody who is forgiven by God, right? The king is God. The first servant, anybody who is forgiven by God. So I'm not saying that's you, but that's you. And if you don't think that's you, then that's really you. The king was God. The first servant was anyone forgiven by God. Who's the second servant? Anyone who's in debt to someone who's been forgiven by God. Anyone who's in debt to you. God is the king. The first servant is me. And the second servant is anyone who I'm bitter at, who I'm resentful towards, who owes me, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my neighbor, anyone who owes me no matter what it may be. What Jesus says, so my heavenly father will do to you if from your heart, you don't forgive the person who embarrassed you. You don't forgive the person who gossiped about you. You don't forgive the person who talked about you behind your back. You don't forgive the person who betrayed you, who lied straight to your face and lied about lying. If you don't forgive the person whose sharp tongue cuts you every time you see them, if you don't forgive that person from your heart, not just to show, and so my heavenly father will also do to you. Now, again, I know what you're saying. You're saying, what a horrible thing to say to someone who's been hurt. Father Anthony, you are cold and, 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 and no blood in your veins. How could Jesus say this statement that God is gonna punish you if you don't forgive. Like, doesn't God know there's victims? People have been really hurt? Like, it's so insensitive. Listen carefully. Jesus is not saying, if you don't forgive, I will punish you. What he's saying is, if you don't forgive, you will punish you. Just like I don't say to my kids, if you touch the oven, I'm gonna burn your hand. I'm saying, if you touch the oven, you're gonna burn your hand. If you, if you jump off a building, you're the one who's gonna break your neck. I'm not gonna break your neck if you jump off a building. You're gonna break your own neck. He's saying the same thing. I'm not gonna punish you if you don't forgive. 
You're going to punish you if you don't forgive. You're the one who's going to be bitter. You're the one who's going to struggle in your relationship. You're the one who's going to struggle to have intimacy in your marriage. You're the one who's going to have distance between you and your children. You're the one who's going to be grumpy. No one wants to be around you. You're going to punish yourself. I'm not punish you. The most self-destructive thing you'll ever do in life, I promise you, take it from someone who sees a lot of people hurt themselves in destructive ways. The most self-destructive thing you'll ever do is hold on to a grudge. The most self-destructive thing you'll ever do is hold on to a grudge. And y'all know this, because many people here, okay, sacrament of confession, I'm, not gonna, I'm obviously not gonna say people's confessions, but you can ask people. Many people come to me and say, you know, Father Anthony, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and then I can't forgive so-and-so. And then they move on, I'm like, ho, 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 hold your horses. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. You not forgive so-and-so? And they're like, that's not a big deal. It's just, no, 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 that's a big deal. To me, that's the deal breaker. Because all the other stuff is about forgiveness. And I need forgiveness for this, this, and that. Well, did you know that the criteria for forgiveness is you forgiving other people? Look what it says right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. Jesus is giving us the Lord's prayer. A prayer that you pray a thousand times. And you say, not me. This is not me. You say this. You say this with your own mouth. You say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You say that, not me. You say, forgive me, God, for what I owe you, the way I forgave my servant what he owed me. And Jesus says after that, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's why I say this, and listen carefully to this. Listen carefully to this. I say a lot of stuff, a lot of it's not important. This is important. Your cruelest enemy cannot hurt you the way you can hurt yourself by not forgiving. The greatest harm anyone has done to you is nothing compared to the harm you can do to yourself by choosing to hold on to that grudge. Because Jesus makes it very clear here. And in fact, you ask for it every time you say the prayer. You ask for it. Please, God, forgive me for when I lied the same way I forgave my sister who lied to me. Oh, wait a minute. I never forgave my sister. I hate her guts. Please, God, forgive me for when I betrayed you and denied you and didn't stick up for you the way I forgave so-and-so who betrayed me. Oh, wait a minute, I didn't. I went on Facebook and told the whole world how much of a jerk this guy is. Please, you're asking the same thing. So what I say, and I say this with all love, if you're not ready to forgive, don't say this part of the Lord's Prayer. Don't say it, just keep your mouth shut. You're better off because you are asking God to do to you as you do to others. You're asking for it. Your cruelest enemy cannot hurt you the way you can hurt yourself by not forgiving. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, you've been wrong. I'm not minimizing it. I said that in the beginning. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not excusing it. Yes, you've been hurt. I absolutely believe that. Yes, he's the jerk. Yes, she's evil. Yes, yes, yes. But you deserve better. You deserve freedom. You deserve healing. And healing only comes by forgiving and canceling the debt. Watch this quote. A guy named Brad Meltzer. He says, when you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. That's a good one. When you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. Now, what I wanna do real quick for the few minutes that we have remaining is I wanna talk very specific. And I wanna share a system of forgiveness that I've shared many, many, many times. You probably heard me talk about this before. I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna say it as often as, as we need to because this forgiveness thing, this is a deal breaker. This is a big deal. This is not a like, hey, they should get around to forgiveness. No, forgiveness is stop, stop the presses, 
Stop everything. I got to figure this forgiveness thing out. So I'm going to go through four steps. I'll go through them quick because I've talked about this before at length, but just for the sake of those who never heard me talk about it, I believe that forgiveness, a lot of us don't understand what it is. Hopefully I've addressed that. Now we also don't know how to do it. And sometimes we think that the way we forgive is just try, like I said, to forget about it. Just forget about it. I actually believe the exact opposite. I actually don't think that you should run from what people have done to you to forgive. I think you should attack it head on. And as I'm telling you in these four steps, the first step is identify who you're angry with. Identify who you're angry with. A decision to forgive is not a decision to forget. It's a decision to cancel a debt. You cannot cancel a debt that you don't know exists. So the first thing is start to think, who is it that I'm bitter towards, resentful, salty, whatever it may be? Who is the person that I hear their name and my skin cringes or my skin tingles? Who is it that like I see them on the other side of the room and I try to walk this way? Who is it that I intentionally try to avoid? My heart starts pounding when they walk in a room because I don't want to see them. Who is the person that I'm bitter towards? And oftentimes, I'm be honest with you, like I said, I'm challenge you. Oftentimes, it's people that we love the most. Oftentimes, it's not our enemies that we're bitter towards, actually our loved ones, people who are the closest to us, but there's just something that we're bitter about. And that gets us to the second one. Determine what they owe you. Determine what they owe you. What did they take from you? General forgiveness doesn't solve specific hurts. So I forgive everybody is of no value. I forgive everyone who's ever done anything wrong to me. That's of no value. What's of value is this person did this to me and I'm gonna forgive that specific amount. That's what the king did in the story. 10,000 talents, he forgave that amount. So you have to think the same thing. I'm upset at my, I'm bitter at my spouse because they took what from me. I'm bitter at my boss because they deprived me of what. I'm bitter at my cousin because she or he did whatever. What is the exact amount owed? And we're not thinking necessarily of what they did as much as what they took from me, okay? What they took from me. Third, cancel the debt. Pretty logical step, cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. If you look at the bottom of your handouts, for those who got handouts, or if you're on the STSA app, you can see it on the app as well. I wrote down a little sample prayer that you can use, okay? And I encourage you that you can say this. I encourage you even better to write it down, but it's to basically say, person A owes me amount B, and as of today, I cancel the debt. And I think you should do it in writing because when a bank calls you on the phone and says, yeah, yeah, my name is so-and-so from such and such bank, your debt is forgiven. No, 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 can you send something in the mail? Like, can you put, so like, give it to me in writing. I want to see it in writing. When it's written, it's more concrete. It's more, it's more it, 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 it feels more real when it's something in writing. And especially because you're going to see the third step is dismiss the case. And what that means is the following. Oftentimes I tell people, right, just like this, identify who you're angry with, write down what they owe you, and then sign at the bottom, like in that prayer at the bottom of your handout, or just whatever words you want, I forgive this debt and sign it and date it. And then they ask, what do I do with the piece of paper? And they always think, then I rip it up. No, I burn it in the fireplace. No, I nail it to the cross. I don't know if you have a cross in your backyard, but either way, I don't think you should nail it. <laughs> you know what I think you should do? I think you should keep it. I think you should hold on to it. Maybe you frame it, okay, maybe. But what I'm saying is, I need something. Remember in the earlier beginning, I said that there's like a process, but it begins with a moment, but it's a kind of a process. 
There's gonna be times I forgive so-and-so on today because I just went to church, the Holy Spirit was moving, like I feel it, I don't wanna be to God not to forgive me, so I forgive, and that's fine. And then Thanksgiving happens, and they come over, and you see them, and they're just as annoying as they were the week before, even more annoying. And they're Cowboys fans, and we're playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. So you're gonna be tempted for the bitterness to come back. And that's when you say, time out, you go to your room, wherever you have it, you pull out that piece of paper, this is on November 18th, 2018. I canceled that debt. I no longer have a right to collect on it. I canceled it. I want to, but it's in writing. You know, when Jesus was nailed on the cross, the very end, he said, it is finished. Right, that's what Jesus said, it is finished. You know, it is finished, what it means, it's the same word in Aramaic that they would use if a prisoner would go to jail. So like I robbed a bank, so I owe whatever it is and I can't pay it back, so they put me in jail for 10 years. They give you like a little piece of paper, okay, that says, you know, my name is Joe Schmo, here's the crime I committed, and then I go to prison and I give it to them, and then I sit for 10 years. Then as I'm on my way out, they give me the same piece of paper and they stamp, and the stamp says, it is finished, same word, it is finished. So then when I go apply for a job, they say, hey, you're a criminal. Nope. Piece of paper says, it is finished. And someone say, hey, look, he escaped from prison. Nope. It is finished. Once it says it is finished, you cannot collect on that debt anymore. And I'm saying, you got to do the same thing with the people who owe you. You need to say, it is finished. No more you owe me anything. And the same way that Jesus forgave me. And like I said, it's in writing. It's forgiven. Can't collect on that debt no more. We need to do the same thing. Just because the feelings come back doesn't mean the forgiveness isn't real. And in fact, I guarantee you that the more real your forgiveness is, the more you're serious about forgiving today, I guarantee you the feelings are gonna come back tomorrow of anger and bitter and resent. And you go to that piece of paper, say, even if I wanted to collect, it is finished. I bet that when Peter heard this story, back to the parable. Peter was very confused, as with his fellow disciples, because the Jewish law said that forgiveness, Jewish law was like a three-strike system. You forgive once, you forgive twice, you forgive three times, after that, you don't have to forgive. So after that, someone hurts you three times, you don't have to forgive. So Peter thought, like three times is the norm, I'm gonna go up to seven, and Jesus multiplied that by 70? Like it didn't make any sense. And then Good Friday came along and Jesus was nailed on a cross. And Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I bet you at that moment, click, it made sense. This parable that didn't make sense before, it makes sense now. Now I understand what Jesus was saying. Now I understand that I have no excuse because I've been forgiven a big debt. A huge debt. I've been forgiven a more than 10,000 talent debt. And now I'm being asked to forgive who offended me. Look at this verse right here. Back to the verse I gave you in the beginning about, about bitterness, but let me show you the verse after. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
The key to forgiveness is not between me and the other person. The key to forgiveness is between me and the one who's forgiven me. Said another way, anyone unwilling to forgive is usually thinking of what was done to them versus for them. I'm going to invite our music team to come back up here on stage. We'd like to finish off the series. We'd like to finish off with the song. And as we prepare to leave here and go off to Thanksgiving and probably see the people who are bitter towards and spend a whole week with them. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness looks like a decision to let my enemy go off, get off the hook. In the shadow, as much as I'm focused on my hurt, forgiveness looks like I'm rewarding my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness makes a lot more sense. Because when I look at the cross, I realize that I have been forgiven not a small amount, not a mediocre amount. I've been forgiven more than I can ever possibly even apologize or acknowledge. And now when I'm called to forgive someone else, it's not in a vacuum. It's in the shadow of the forgiveness that I've received. And what forgiveness is at its root is not rewarding your enemy, is not minimizing the sin, is not forgetting. What, minimize, what, what forgiveness is, is one undeserving soul extending the same grace that we received to someone else. My prayer for today is, especially as we approach the holiday season, is that, God, that we can really release any kind of bitterness and grudge because it's only hurting ourselves. And that truly all of us can say, God, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why don't we stand up together? Okay, we'll sing a song and then say a prayer.
Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we need you so desperately and so badly. And Lord, in the shadow of your cross, Lord, our bitterness and our grudges and resent look so petty and so bad. You let go, Lord, of so, such a big debt that we owed you that we could never even recount it. And I pray, Lord, that today you would strengthen us all to do that which we know we need to do, not for the sake of those who have offended us, but for the sake of ourselves, our families, our loved ones, for the sake of our souls, Lord, pray that you would give us the strength to forgive, to truly forgive from our heart. And even though it may take a long time to, to, to get the memories out or to, to, to be able to reconcile, we don't care about any of that, Lord. But today, we stand in front of you as all undeserving sinners. And all of us, Lord, have been forgiven a debt which is gigantic and can never be, can never be numerated. But Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you'd help us to live our lives as you taught us to never miss the mark with these little sins, but to really make a big deal out of the things that you make a big deal out of and to rely on your grace to get us through. We pray these things in the name of your son with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. 